When you don't know where you are, look for a sign. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Kester, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. A lot of us have gotten lost in the pages of Revelation, and our current series is designed to remedy that. Within the book, there are some signposts, like the 21 sequential judgments. We'll have more about those soon. There are some time markers, some identifiable people and groups, and there are some heavenly signs. They're illustrations of the story. That's what Jim will explain over the next few broadcasts. Now he opens with prayer. Father, we thank you tonight that victory is ours in Jesus Christ. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Our fortunes are with you. Our future is in you. We are blessed beyond words. Sometimes in this old world, we get things inverted and we forget how very rich we are, how very blessed the future will be for us. We pray that tonight as we open your word to understand what you've given us to encourage us, that our hearts and minds would respond to you with openness, with faith, with joy, with candor. We ask, Father, that we will leave refreshed, stimulated by the incredible things that John saw and understanding them in the light of your word. Bless our hearts tonight. Thank you for our fellowship together. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The holy altar has been completed. It's now ready for the third Jewish temple. It's uh, extremely pertinent to our conversation last week in Revelation chapter 10. And what it says is that the, those who desire the temple and understand the need for the temple understand that the temple requires sacrifices and so to have a temple and no sacrifice is not effective. You remember, or let me say it this way, perhaps you don't remember, that the holy place where the Holy of Holies was, was a building. It's divided into two sections. The front part, the farthest part from the entrance, was the Holy of Holies, and then there was a thick curtain that divided that section from what was called the holy place. And that was also inside, was part of the building. But out in the courtyard is where the sacrifices took place, on the altar, on the altar. So that piece of the preparation is completed, and they are prepared to, uh, to move into a temple area. You might be interested to know also that there are certain moderate uh, Muslim groups who are suggesting that it wouldn't be a bad thing at all to have the Jewish people have their temple up there and have their sacrifices out there. That uh, after all, that's not going to influence Islam. Uh, why should that bother us at all? It won't interfere with what we're already doing there. It shouldn't bother us at all. And as long as it's clear that we're the ones giving the right to them to do it, why worry about it? Now take that temperament, add into that the biblical promise that there will come, there will come a political leader of world stature, a Gentile, who will broker a peace treaty for Israel and by Israel. And that peace treaty will be seven years in duration. 
You know that. I think you're tired of hearing me repeat that. But folks, the, the, the tempo of the times, the, um, the ebb and flow of what things are happening over in the Middle East, make that a constant uh, possibility. I'm telling you tonight that we're, uh, we're living on the cusp of very, very, very important events that are going to take place. And tonight we're going to dive into that portion of Scripture where many of these things are unpacked. Revelation chapter 11, please. Last week we spent a great deal of time talking about the two witnesses, their ministry, their preaching, their, their um, absolute uh, protection for 42 months. They witness and preach and no one can stop them or restrain them. They do that for a period of 42 months, which is exactly how long the first half of that peace treaty will be. There's a clear overlap there. As we showed you last week, the two witnesses must, M-U-S-T, must be preaching during the first half of the tribulation period because the second half, as we're going to discuss tonight, is going to be brutal, absolutely brutal. And the second half is going to start when the two witnesses are killed. But look with me, please, at Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 11, and look with me one more time, please, at verse 1. John says, I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words, Go measure God's sanctuary and what? The altar. That's why this is so critical. That's why this is so significant. It says that there are a group of Israelis, Jewish people, who recognize that the sanctuary without the altar, the sanctuary without the sacrifices, is not Judaism. It says that they are intending to have an authentic Jewish temple, an authentic Jewish system of worship. That's why they took all these years to carefully study and carefully build this monster, this thing they call the altar. It's a huge altar. First time we were at the, um, what's called the Temple Institute, and we were being introduced to the marvelous work they do. That's, those are the folks that have already woven all of the priest's garments. They've selected uh, appropriate, qualified Levites to be the priests. They've trained them. They've already uh, discovered and replicated the, the uh, mixture of the various elements that go into the frankincense that's burned on the temple, the altar inside the building called the altar of incense. They've already got that. They'll show you exactly what it is. Let's open your hands. And they built a model. And I remember standing the first time in, in, in front of this model. It's on a case about that wide and about twice as long. And here's, here's a model of the temple. And in front of it, on my right, looking at the front of the temple, in front of it on my right was this massive, massive altar. There are steps that you go up to go up to the altar. It's a massive altar. 
And there are times during the celebration of the special days of worship in Israel when that altar will be heaped with sacrifices. We remember in our Sunday school lessons, those of us that grew up in those kinds of churches where we were taught those things, remember pictures of altars, but I had never in my life, never ever had anybody present to me the magnitude of the altar there outside the temple on the Temple Mount in Israel. It's a massive thing. And it's at that sacrifice, it's at that place of sacrifice, that place of altar, where the worship is initiated, where animals are sacrificed as tokens of uh, blood sacrifices uh, and where offerings are given in celebration of God and where in some of the offerings the family who gives the offering actually eats part of the offering as part of the sacrifice unto God. It's, it's an elaborate thing, this thing that uh, God put together back there in the wilderness. Then it was called the tabernacle. And when it, it finally found a resting place, it found a resting place in in Jerusalem. So this, this is epic. It, it reminds us that the people behind the, the effort to build the third temple want a legitimate temple, not just a, um, not just a, a Disneyland version. And they expect to do blood sacrifices, not just animated cartoons. They are deadly serious about replicating the authentic temple, and that's why John is told to measure this temple. John has been taken forward in time. He's up there, actually close to the end of the first half the, of this uh, seven-year period, and John is told to measure it. That's the, that's the way the scripture expresses possession or ownership. When you measure something, it means that you are about to, you're either about to take it or you're expressing ownership of it. And this is God who is saying to John, John, measure it. So this is not, this is not funny cartoon. This, this, is not, uh, this, this is not Saturday morning playtime for kids. This is a deadly, serious fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Deadly serious. Now we know that these two witnesses who preach are going to preach during that first 42 months, during which time the temple will be restored, Allah, altar, and all the rest of it. The temple will be restored on the Temple Mount. We know that that's true from this passage and several other places in the New Testament where this is mentioned. So we're not making this up. And we know that these two witnesses at the end of the 42 months are going to be killed. And we know that the temple that is built there is going to be desecrated. Hold your finger here in, in Revelation. I want you to see that for yourself. Revelation chapter 11. Hold your finger there and turn back to Daniel chapter 9. This is the pivotal passage from which the whole teaching about the 70th week of Daniel comes. I want you to note something. Daniel chapter 9, 
Notice, please, verse 26. Daniel 9, 26. We're in the middle of Daniel receiving this revelation or this instruction through Gabriel. Daniel 9, 26. After those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. That's the crucifixion of Jesus. And will have nothing. That is, he will not do it for himself. And in his sacrifice, his sacrifice, it will appear that he gains nothing at all. That's what that means. Now watch. The people of the coming prince, there's a coming prince down in future history. The people of that coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Romans did that in 70 AD. So in the future posterity of the Romans stands someone who is going to become a prince. Now watch. The end will come with a flood, and until the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. He, verse 27, that's the coming prince, he will make a firm covenant, contract, treaty, with many, many of Daniel's people, Jews, for one week. It actually says for one seven, seven units. Sixty-nine of those units have already been used up in history when we come to this point. But watch. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the midst of the week, watch. He, he, that's the coming prince. So the one who makes the seven-year peace treaty for Israel and with Israel is the one who puts a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. What I want you to see in that passage is that the one who makes the initial seven-year treaty is the same one who violates that treaty and who himself is responsible for putting a stop to sacrifice and offering. He is the one who perpetrates what is called the abomination of desolation. Okay, that by way of background. So during the first 42 months, the first three and a half years of this seven-year period, which is framed by that treaty, the treaty between a descendant from the Romans who makes a seven-year treaty with the Jewish people and then breaks it. In the middle of that period, when he breaks the treaty, look what happens. Turn back with me now, please, to Revelation chapter, chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 11, we have a careful outline of what the two witnesses are going to do, how they are going to die, what's going to follow their death, as the world will celebrate their demise, because they have a global ministry, and their ministry torments other people's 
in the world. So when they die, there's a great celebration. However, they don't stay dead. They are brought to life, resurrected, and then they are raptured to heaven. Same word that's used in First Thessalonians, raptured. They are raptured to heaven. Their enemies see this unfold and tremble. Then we read, beginning in verse 15, that the seventh angel blows his trumpet. We're going to skip over that part of it tonight. We'll come back to that because I want to walk with you through all 21 judgments. We'll do that. That's the night you want to bring something for your stomach. John then begins his, the rest of the story in chapter 12, verse 1. And I'd like you to note something at the outset. Chapter 12, verse 1. Look. A great sign appeared in heaven. John sees a significant visual thing taking place in heaven, not on earth, in heaven. You got that? It's a great sign, which means it is very significant. It is a sign, which means it, it portends or it represents larger things than its simple visual appearance. The word sign there is is the same word that is used often by John in his gospel when he talks about Jesus doing miracles. And he calls those miracles signs. By that he means that when Jesus healed the blind man, he wasn't just giving one guy his sight back. He was illustrating something in that supernatural event. When Jesus fed the 5,000, John called it a sign. Jesus called it a sign. He wasn't just fixing dinner for hungry people. He was doing that in order to signify, to illustrate, to teach a larger lesson. And that's what this word means here. Now notice, Chapter 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven. Notice verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. One more time. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. All three of these signs are in heaven. They're not on earth. We're not here watching history either being unfolded or repeated. We are watching God put on a sign or a significant drama. And the drama has portent, has enormous significance for what God from heaven is going to do to people on earth. That's what that means. All three of those signs, it's the same word 
we signal it. It, it, it means a supernatural event that is designed to teach a lesson. It's symbolic, meaning that it represents more than what it shows. Now there are three. Tonight we want to deal with the first two. Next week we'll deal with the third. These are, these are the anchors or these are the three fundamental anchors that give John and through him us insight into what's going to happen after the two witnesses are killed, after the temple in Jerusalem has been desecrated, what's going to happen next? Well, look at the first sign. It is fundamental to the trilogy. Chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony to give birth. First sign. Now, we're going to discover in just a few minutes exactly who the child is she's going to give birth. But when God starts to unpack, when God starts to teach us what is going to happen, in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, or the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel, God begins with a pregnancy. Now, brothers and sisters, that takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It takes us back to God's promise to Eve that she, out of her descendants, would give birth to a child without the involvement of the male. That a virgin would conceive. A very dramatic sign, very significant sign. God saying, I want all the world to understand that I'm doing this I want them to understand when it happens, and I want them to understand the significance of it. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. John was shown three wonders or portents, and they are weighty. Jim says they anchor our understanding of the last three and a half years before Jesus returns. We consulted that great old prophet Daniel, too, in the opening third of Jim's sermon, The Blackest Day in the History of the World. We're making up some CDs containing this message. We'll send one to you for a gift of $7 or more. For a contribution of $34 or more, you can have an album of all nine sermons in the current series. That series is called With John on the Isle of Patmos, ordering details in a few seconds. But it's my pleasure to thank everyone in the Right Start family for making this episode possible. You're making a difference in people's lives with your prayers and gifts. When we hear from them, we're amazed at what the Word of God does when we just put it out there. If you'd like to help us do that, please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
The website gives you the most options for interacting with us. It's rightstartradio.org. You can make a secure online donation there, re-listen to today's broadcast, or go back and hear past radio shows. The latest program is always as near as your phone when you subscribe to the Right Start podcast on iTunes. There's a link on our website, but if you'd rather listen to Jim's complete sermons, you can play or download those. Find all that at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Tomorrow, we'll look at the second of those three heavenly signs that John saw. We'd love to have you with us for Wednesday's Right Start.